Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and as always, I'm so delighted that you've decided to join us to talk about your landscapes, your garden adventures, all of the fun stuff that keeps us green and growing. And of course, today is going to be a great day because today is all about you. That's right. This is the last Saturday of the month, and that means that we go to the mailbox, the inbox, the mailbag, the comment section, wherever you have contacted us uh, in all the many ways that you can keep in touch with us here at New Southern Garden. We have gotten your questions, and we do appreciate each and every one, and maybe more so, we appreciate the fact that you uh, decide to allow us to help you with your gardening problems and, well, hopefully garden successes. We'll turn those problems upside down into a position that makes things green and growing. And, of course, it's an exciting thing to be doing because we are getting closer and closer to spring. Every week that goes by, we are anticipating warmer days, longer days, have you noticed? And that gets things in the growth mode Where winter is that sort of uh, time for sleeping, spring is the time for growing. And it's not just about growing plants, but it's about growing yourself, expanding your knowledge, and making you feel more comfortable with what you're doing, more confident in your gardening practices. So again, we appreciate all the questions you've sent us this month, and we hope that we can give you some ideas and inspiration to continue to do all the great things that you're doing in your landscape. Just a month ago, we did have some great questions because, of course, we talked about poppies. An individual said, hey, I want to grow some perennial white poppies in a white garden. Um, We talked about the options you have there in the south. And then, of course, uh, we talked about why why i think it was larry yeah larry's peach tree wasn't really setting they were setting fruits but they were all falling off so hopefully he'll be able to square that away this season and have some delicious i don't know if he's in georgia i can't remember but they don't have to be georgia grown peaches you know they just have to be homegrown and they'll be delicious but today just to sort of give you a little taste of what's coming we'll be talking about vegetables is it too early to plant vegetables and uh let's see some native vines some native blooming vines some folks looking for some great native plants to creep and crawl in their landscape give them some vertical interest or horizontal growth however you choose to use vines they are uh, in my opinion an important aspect of gardening because they're such a unique plant form in the fact that uh, they do twine, they ramble, they spill over, and they climb. And so they do all these wonderful things that not sh- that shrubs don't do, right? Or small growing perennial plants don't do for us. So we'll be glad to talk about that. And of course, 
We've been trying. I did miss a week for YouTube, but we have been trying to post uh, weekly videos on YouTube, and there will be more to come in, on that front uh, this week. But um, orchids, growing some houseplants will be coming up on YouTube. So be sure to check out New Southern Garden on YouTube. You can also find the uh, New Southern Garden videos at NewSouthernGarden.com. While you're there, if you have a question, just click the Contact Us page, and you can be a part of next uh, next month's Q&A week here on New Southern Garden. And of course, Facebook, Instagram, all those things that you can find us on there. But today we have you to talk about. We have you to think about in your landscape. So let's jump right in with some of these questions that you have sent to us and hopefully we'll have some good answers for you. So the first question here for today's Q&A week comes from Carol here in Cleveland, Georgia. Uh, She asked the question, is it too early to plant vegetables? Well, Carol, let me give you the short answer. Yes and no. Uh, Really, in the South, it's not too early, not too late to grow vegetables, but the no part is there are certain vegetables that it would be too early to set out in your landscape. We still are having cold nights, uh, too cold for warm season vegetables, but the cool season vegetables can be planted and sown this time of year. You know, we've talked about uh, these this cold season vegetable group in the fall time because, of course, that is a season where things aren't so hot, so so. Uh, so brutal like summer is and the cool season vegetables of course uh, thrive in that and if you started vegetables in the fall you will probably notice that you still have some great growth happening all winter long like i said before the south is probably the best place at least in the u.s but maybe in the world (laughs) this is the best place to uh to grow to to really grow almost anything you know we do have limitations because we have um freezing temperatures. There are some plants that you grow in the tropic areas that don't grow outside all year. But of course, if you have a cold frame, a sunroom, a house, a garage, a crawl space, you can overwinter uh, very tender plants here in the south all winter long. But then, of course, uh, we have a great growing season in the summertime where we have plenty of heat, right? Plenty of warmth. And most plants do like warmth. Uh, But then, of course, we get general rainfall. Now, you know, if you've lived in this area for any amount of time that we go through periods, we consider droughts, which usually happens in the summer. All winter long, we usually have more water than we need, more rain than plants really require. But in the summertime, we do go through periods of dry times. But generally, we're getting, you know, an average of 52 uh, inches of rain a year, which If you look at the recommendation for plants, most plants need an average of an inch of water per week. So if we get an average of 50, 52 inches a year, look at that. That's perfect. It's perfect. But of course, that rain doesn't come uh, every week, and we don't get exactly an inch every week when it does rain. So growing in the South, we can do a lot of things. I just wanted to kind of uh, remind you of that. And of course, when it comes to vegetables, we can pretty much grow vegetables in the South, maybe with a little of protection over winter, maybe a little extra irrigation or water in the summer, but we can grow vegetables all year. So is it too early to plant vegetables? No, it's not too early to plant some vegetables, but yes, it is too early to plant others. So let's get into the details of the no's and the yeses. So is it too early to plant things like broccoli? No. Kale? No. Lettuce? No. Carrots? No. Brussels sprouts? No. Um, Is it too early to plant things like tomatoes? Yes, it's too early. Is it too early to plant things like 
um, peppers. Yes, cucumbers. Yes, it's too early. But it doesn't mean that you can't start your vegetables indoors this weekend. Because our average last frost date here in the uh, North Georgia areas, I know we have people listening from all over, so be sure to reference the USDA cold hardiness zone map and find out what your average last frost is. But the average last frost up this part of the south is going to be in April. Now, some folks may be being in zone 7, maybe like uh, April 15th, but then people in zone 8, uh, which our zones are increasing. We're seeing that we're not having as bad of winters as we had historically. But zone 8, you might be able to have a last frost, average last frost, around the 1st of April. So, Look at your zone where you are located and find that average last frost. Now, this is going to be critical if you want to jump on getting a head start in your vegetable garden for summer, at least, because you want to start seedlings indoors, whether you're growing tomatoes or peppers or whatnot. You want to start those seedlings indoors about four to six weeks before your average last frost. That will give your little babies enough time to germinate and start producing leaves. And then, you know, four to six weeks after you've sown your vegetable seeds, you should start to have a plant that's about four inches tall. And that is a perfect size to take it out of its little pot that you started them in and plant them into your garden vegetable beds. Now, that, of course, is going to get you a jump start on your warm season crops. Uh, so is it too early to plant them outdoors? Yes, but go ahead and get them started indoors if you can. Um, if your average last frost is, say, the middle of April, then you could probably do that next week when March shows up. That will give you six weeks before your average last frost to get your plants started and get a jump start. Now, if you want to grow things like lettuce and carrots and kale, uh, these plants, they generally don't mind to be a little, um, a little cold. Um, they, they could essentially be sown outdoors with maybe a little encouragement and protection. And other than starting these seeds indoors and then transplanting them outdoors, if you wanted to grow some of these cool season crops this weekend, you may want to build something like a row cover or a cold frame. Now, if you have a raised bed, it's quite convenient to uh, build some kind of structure over the top of that raised bed that then will provide a little warmth. The idea would be to use something flexible like, say, PVC pipes, and you essentially make a little small hoop house over the top of your planting bed. Uh, doesn't have to be a raised bed, just wherever you plan to sow your seeds. And once you've constructed this little hoop structure, then you can drape it with something as simple as a plastic shower curtain liner. Uh, you could go out and buy rolls of plastic, but plastic allows light to penetrate through and to um, be absorbed by the plants, uh, but it also is a great insulator. It will help to trap heat during the day and to trap ground heat overnight, and so that gives your seed bed, uh, your vegetable bed, whatever you want to call it, that gives it just a little bit more ambient heat to encourage whatever it is you're trying to grow uh, to pop up and germinate. So let me give you this some specifics on certain plants. For instance, carrots. Their coldest germination temperature is about 45 degrees. They can also germinate as high as 85 degrees. But considering that they can germinate under quite chilly conditions, 45 degrees, 
you could sow them out in your raised beds or wherever you're growing your vegetables, and they would probably germinate without much help. You know, we have been having quite warm days and cool nights, and some, we got some freeze maybe coming through, but, you know, uh, we'll have a little bit of that until we get to April. And so with that in mind, though, you still probably have soil that's quite warm. Uh, some people will sow their carrots or other seedlings and then place a maybe wooden board over the top of them, uh, or you could lay some plastic directly on the soil for just a few days. You've got to keep uh, an eye out if you plan to cover the seed. That actually helps to trap moisture around the seed so they don't dry out, but it will also trap a little extra heat, which would encourage them to start cracking open and germinating. But if you lay plastic directly on top of them or some kind of wooden board, just know that you need to pull that away as soon as you see germination happening. Because, of course, um, plants or seeds do need a certain amount of light once they've started to germinate or they'll just desiccate. They won't uh, have light or, of course, the plastic would sort of be smothering them. Um, but then some seeds like lettuce, if you sow those directly out. Lettuce doesn't does need light in order to germinate. So we wouldn't cover them with a solid piece of wood or something. We could use plastic. And as soon as we see the little green start popping out, we remove the plastic. And that plastic has done its job as far as encouraging the plant to germinate. But in order to keep those plants um, free of frost, we probably do want to construct some kind of row cover um, or some kind of cold frame over the top of them. And that really is going to encourage them after germination to get up and growing. Give them some fertilizer, make sure that they've got plenty of moisture. Moisture will be critical if you have them covered with plastic, uh, because if it rains and they're covered with plastic, they won't really be able to grab a hold of that moisture so you may have to water by hand in some cases but really these row covers and these uh, cold frames are temporary and they may only be temporary say to protect against nighttime temperatures these cold frames aren't critical during the daytime when the sun is up and it's 60 degrees or warmer that's just ideal for many of these cold season crops um, however if you do take off the plastic in the morning and then be sure to cover them up before it gets too, too late in the day and too cold overnight, I like to uncover uh, my vegetables if I'm using a small cold frame or row cover first thing in the morning when I'm leaving for work uh, because by 7 o'clock the sun is coming up and those seeds are going to be, or those babies are going to be warm. But then when I get home, you know, if you can do it around 4 or 5 o'clock while the sun is still up, that will allow your cold frame to trap a little more heat and carry that heat with it uh, as the nighttime starts to cool down. So I'll probably say a few more details about this when we get back from the break, but we've got more of your questions, so hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com. 
where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the new Southern Garden family and let's grow well. So gang, today on New Southern Garden, of course, this is Q&A week for the month of February, which means that we are answering your questions that may have been bothering you this past month. And of course, I don't know about you, but this is the time of year where I start to get really excited. I start to get really excited because I know spring is around the corner and I'm going out You know, if I'm just in any store, you can always find a seed rack. Even the grocery stores usually have a seed rack. And I can't help myself but take a gander, take a look, and just pillage it. (laughs) Just pull off this and that, whether it's vegetables or flowering annuals or perennial seeds. Because this is that time of year where we know spring is around the corner and we want to get outside. It's going to be warming up. We'll be having some fun that we couldn't have maybe over winter when it was just too cold to do a lot of stuff. But, you know, even looking around the cold frame and the things that I've been growing all winter, I'm starting to see some great activity on some perennial plants. I started from seed. You know, I've mentioned that New New Southern Garden is starting to do some YouTube videos. And of course, those videos are also on the website at NewSouthernGarden.com. Just either go to the website or YouTube and search for New Southern Garden. Be sure to like and subscribe, comment on the videos. That helps to uh, get the message of what we're doing here out. But one of the videos we did was how to stratify seeds in order to encourage them to germinate. And many perennials need to be stratified. If you want to learn how to do that, uh, you can check that out on YouTube. But I did stratify some perennial seeds over the winter. And the benefits of that stratification, which is just providing them with a moist and cold period before days uh, warm up, Um, that encourages them to break their seed dormancy and start to grow. And so I have some things like uh, Blazing Star, uh, several of the native Pinstamons, and a strange plant that I've never used before or never really grown before. This is an Artemisia. It's a native Artemisia uh, called like Prairie Sage. It's a blooming plant, but really we're growing it because it's going to have this bright silvery foliage, just like all the other wormwoods or artemisias you may see in the garden center that aren't necessarily native. It looks different, but again, native plants are wonderful because our pollinators, they know all about them. So things like that are really exciting me, and I know that things are exciting you because we've got a great group of questions that you've sent to us. And before the break, we were talking about Carol's question here in Cleveland. Uh, Is it too early to plant vegetables? To kind of summarize, no, it's not too early for some things like your cold season vegetables, uh, broccolis and carrots and kales, lettuce, things like that. Now, some of these will benefit from being started indoors and then in a few weeks, just pop them out. But you could pop them into your garden beds before you pop in tomatoes and peppers and things that like it really warm. The soil temperature is something to consider when we start talking about vegetables because many of these cool season crops don't need it to be the soil to be very warm, uh, maybe 45, 50, 55 degrees. Uh, But the cool season vegetables, we definitely want, I mean, sorry, the warm season vegetables like tomatoes and corn and peppers and okra, we really want the soil to warm up and we won't see the soil 
warming up until the nights start warming up. So be sure that you are checking your soil temperature as well. Of course, you can purchase soil thermometers, but you can go for our state here, the University of Georgia Weather Station online. There's several weather stations scattered around the state that UGA operates, and they tell you all kinds of data in your region. Just look for a weather station that is nearest your city, nearest your town, and be sure to look at the average soil temperature. They will tell you uh, average temperatures at certain depths, like two inches, four inches, and I believe it goes down to eight inches deep. So of course, the top starts to warm up, uh, starts to cool off earlier. The top few inches cools off earlier and the bottom stays warm for most of the summer. Those lower depths, eight inches or so, stay they, they stay warmer for most of the winter rather. Um, but then of course, as we transition into this time of year, we want to make sure that we're looking Looking at those two, four, and six inch depths as far as how warm it is because your seedlings will be right in that top two inch zone. They're not going to be down into the eight inch depth yet. So make sure the top two inches of your soil is warm enough to start your warm season crops before you start planting them out. If you get excited, you know, you go to the box stores and they're really bad about putting out all kinds of annual plants too early. That's not really just my opinion. It's just the facts. They want to get your attention as soon as they can, but it may not be the best time to plant. So just because you see them on the uh, garden center shelves doesn't mean those vegetable plants or annual plants are ready to be planted. So there's a lot of factors. But this is a great time now, just to summarize, to start your seedlings indoors, uh, start your cool season plants indoors too, but pop them out into the garden. You can do that much sooner than you could your warm season crops. And um, be sure to utilize a cold frame or a row cover uh, over your planting spaces. That will not only get you planting earlier, but it extends your season throughout the growing season. It definitely does. It lets you get started earlier, and it lets you continue to grow things much later than you normally otherwise would. So, Carol, thanks for that short question. I hope that I answered it to full capacity. Is it too early to plant vegetables Yes and no. <laughs> plant some things, but don't plant others just yet. Now, let's go to Jonathan, who actually sent us a question, uh, communicated with us over YouTube. Thanks for watching the YouTube videos at New Southern Garden, Jonathan. Uh, he asked, are there some cool blooming vines that are native? And in short... Yes, Jonathan, there are some great and awesome blooming vines that are native to the southeast, native to our area, and I've got the maybe top four that I want to talk to you about today. So the very first one is one that I just am in love with. Uh, I actually only have one plant, but they are very prolific, and they root easily if you wanted to make more babies. Uh, this is the native honeysuckle. Some people may refer to it as red honeysuckle and others may refer to it as trumpet honeysuckle. The botanical name for this honeysuckle is Lonicera sempervirens. Now I do want to make it clear 
that I'm giving you all these names because there are a ton of honeysuckles out there and not all of them are good plants and not all of them are native. Um, as a matter of fact, some of them grow in the wild now, but they are invasive invaders. And that is the things like the Japanese honeysuckles. Uh, some of the honeysuckles from parts of Asia are were beautiful plants, are beautiful plants, but of course, uh, they have become a nuisance in our woodlands and along the edges of meadows and whatnot. And so, you may remember as a kid, the um, honeysuckle that was white and then sort of ripened to a, a yellow when it was blooming, and you would pull them off the plant. They were very long and tubular flowers, and you could pull out the center stamen, and you would have this sweet nectar down at the base. I remember doing that as a kid. I can remember at my grandmother's house, I was very young because she moved out of that, that house when I was probably four or five years old, and I distinctly remember this honeysuckle growing along her back fence, and of course, it was unkept, but it was invasive, but it was so delicious and tasty as a kid. You know, even though we wouldn't encourage you to plant that kind of honeysuckle, there are sort of cool advantages, I guess, but stay away from the invasives. And I'm glad, Jonathan, you're asking about natives because the trumpet honeysuckle, red honeysuckle, or Lonicera sempervirens is a great honeysuckle that is native and wonderful. Now, they have long tubular flowers that present themselves in these deep clusters. Uh, there's one called Major Wheeler. Major Wheeler is one of the wonderful uh, selections from the uh, native honeysuckle. And it is a nice red. It has always been a bestseller at the nursery, and people come back for it year after year. Now, this is sort of a summer bloomer, late spring, early summer. We're talking May to June, you know, when the temperatures are just right for getting out and growing things. It's not so hot yet. Um, they may sporadically bloom throughout the rest of the year, but they, they are going to put out their flush of flowers from May to June, and you can enjoy them during that season. Um, the honeysuckle, of course, is this is not invasive. It is found natively here. However, vines are aggressive, and honeysuckles are very aggressive. So this this baby will need to be trimmed back and trained, properly cared for. Keep it in check, and it won't take over. But climb it up a trellis, an arbor, or along a fence, and you'll get 20 feet of growth at least. So keep that one in mind. More native vines when we get back from this break. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. You know, gang, if you have been listening to this program for really any length of time, you probably know that one of my favorite groups of plants are what we call the native plants. And of course, native plants mean that they derive from uh, a certain part of 
the world. Okay, there it's a relative term, right? So some plants are native to America, some plants are native to Asia, some plants are native to Europe, some plants are native to Africa. That means that they originated from a place. Now, when we say natives, we're talking about our place, right? We're talking about the Southeast, the US. Uh, this North American continent, as we call it. And so native plants are wonderful because they usually don't require um, a lot of extra effort, okay? I mean, it's not true with every plant, but this is a very general statement. They don't need a lot of attention or care because they already are used to our climate. They're used to the soil. If you put them in the right kind of soil, you know, some native plants prefer wet soil. So if you plant those native plants in the wet soil, then they like it. They're happy there. Some native plants may prefer it a little dry, and you need to plant the dry-loving plants. So it's still put the right plant in the right place. Don't get me wrong. But there's one factor. There's one factor that um, helps us with native plants, and that's the fact that they are uh, have become immune to certain diseases that imported plants may not be immune to. So diseases that are native to our area, most of the time native plants can fight against them. It's not always the case because of course some of our native plants struggle with powdery mildew. Uh, many plants struggle with powdery mildew for example. So in general though, because the plant is native it, it knows the climate, it knows the diseases it has to fight against, unless the disease is an imported disease, right? If a disease comes in on some dogwoods from China, uh, our native dogwoods actually suffer from some of those imported diseases. But the last factor of why I love growing native plants is because the fauna know our native plants. The fauna being the insects, right? The pollinators, they know our plants and they love those plants. I always like to describe it this way. You know, I'm born and raised here in the South. I uh, love all kinds of foods, right? I mean, I love Chinese food. I love Mexican foods. I love all these foods that aren't um, from here, but have been brought here. They're just wonderful. They're delicious. But I will say, as a Southern kid, you give me biscuits and gravy and fried chicken, and I'm happy. I'm happy. I can do that because I know that. And it's sort of the same way. That's the only anecdote that I've been able to come up with on how to describe the native um, plants that provides for the native pollinators, butterflies, bees, moths, all of those things. They know these plants and they love these plants. Now, it does not mean that the deer and the rabbits don't like them, right? They probably do uh, prefer some over others. But there are plenty of native plants that are deer and rabbit resistant or at least less likely to be disturbed by them. Um, so th there are some pros and cons. But I think that, of course, when we look at growing plants that are uh, imported and become invasive, become aggressive weeds, if you will, that's a problem. Uh, that's a problem for our ecology. Whereas if native plants that are normally growing here, uh, if, if they're aggressive, that's kind of okay because they, they live here naturally. Um, but all of that to sort of uh, introduce that we have been talking about 
cool blooming vines. And when I say cool, we just mean awesome blooming vines that are native to the southeast. Because Jonathan uh, has been watching New Southern Garden on YouTube, and he sent us a question, are there some cool blooming native vines uh, to the southeast? And yes, there are. Before the break, we were talking about the native honeysuckle. Do not, uh, do not get that mixed up with the honeysuckle that grows kind of wild, but is an aggressive, invasive weed uh, that is a Japanese plant, we want to be looking for either the red honeysuckle, the trumpet honeysuckle, or Lonicera sempervirens and all of her cultivars. They are a May to June blooming plant with these long clusters of red blooming flowers, just awesome. And they are a magnet for hummingbirds. Our native hummingbirds would know this plant and are highly attractive to it. So that's May to June, but let's say you want something in the vine world, the native vine world, that blooms a little earlier. And I would always refer to wisteria. Now, again, when I say the word wisteria, you may be thinking of that uh, Asian, the Chinese, the Japanese wisterias that just take over our woodlands. They climb trees, they drape their foliage all over the canopies of trees and choke trees out, and they are almost unstoppable once they started to take over. They're, they're, they're quite an, an invasive species, uh, just like kudzu. However, there is a wonderful uh, native wisteria, which is called Wisteria fructescens, or of course, there's the cultivar Amethyst Falls. Now, be sure when you're looking for wisteria that you are buying the wisteria fructescens because this is going to be the best bet for your native landscape and you will have a plant because it's a vine that is aggressive. However, it doesn't really escape cultivation to the extreme that the imported varieties do. If you are buying wisteria online, be sure to look for that botanical name. Be sure to look for that botanical name because most wisterias that are sold online are, are most likely the Chinese or Japanese kind. And those wisterias do have quite superior blooms, maybe. They are very long. Their blooms are um, going to be maybe 12 inches or longer, and they are gorgeous blooms. Um, if you're growing a wisteria like this, uh, enjoy it, maintain it as long as you're alive, but make me a promise that... Before you retire to your deathbed, <laughs> kill it. Kill it. Get rid of it. Eradicate that plant because once you're gone, the subsequent generations will probably not take care of it and it will just escape and take over. But the native wisteria does not take over. Now, it is aggressive. It's a vine. It grows quickly. It will fill an arbor. It will fill a trellis in just a couple of years, really. Uh, we have this amethyst falls at the nursery on an arbor, and it's been there maybe five years now, but every couple of years, I've got to thin it back, trim it back, because, of course, it's a vine, and it wants to climb, and it wants to creep and crawl. Um, the difference in the blooms on this native wisteria versus the imported wisterias is that it's mainly size. They still have the same color. Wisterias are this nice lavender purple color, and they are in the pea family uh, or the bean family. They're a legume, and so they have a pea-like flower that is presented in these clusters on these pendulous cone-shaped flowering um, heads. 
However, the native wisteria is much smaller. I mentioned to you that the imported varieties may be 12, 14, 16 inches long as far as these clusters of flowers, whereas the native wisteria may be at max 6 inches. So it's a bit of a trade-off, but I think it's a good trade-off because even though the flower is smaller in size, it's still as effective, it's still as beautiful, and of course you're not introducing a very high potential invasive species to your neighborhood. Now, these bloom in April to May. Like I mentioned, this is an earlier bloomer. It's really one of the first plants to bloom. Um, the next plant is even earlier, but it is one of the first blooming vines that are native to the southeast. And again, I love to use it over an arbor or something you can walk through because when their flowers are open and they're hanging down, again, the word pendulous is used here because they, they do not sit upright, the flowers droop over and they just spill, spill downwards. And so when you are walking underneath an arbor full of wisteria, it's really a sight and it's really an experience. It's it truly is an experience. There's nothing like it. And the fact that they're this sort of lavender purple color, it's just a, a it's kind of those um, mythical, it just feels mystic, you know, it's just a wonderful feeling. So the wisteria is going to be aggressive just like most vines are. They are very woody, so they create these large trunks. They can be trained as sort of a small tree if you'd like. All you have to do is train a central leader or a strong center trunk, uh, pruning out anything that tries to make a side shoot. And once it reaches a height that you want it to be at, of course, you'll have to train it on a stake or something to keep it vertical. But once it gets mature, that stem could be four or six inches round, like a small tr trunk, trunk on a tree. And you can then train the canopy to just be this billowing, spilling over, arching branches. It's a really cool effect uh, to train wisteria as a tree, and it can provide, of course, interest, but a focal point. And of course, it's blooming in the early part of the year, and the, the beauty of the native wisteria is that it may sporadically bloom throughout the summer. Even though its prime time to bloom is April to May, it may bloom sporadically throughout the summer, and I think you will really enjoy the uh, native wisteria. That's Wisteria fructescens, and I would encourage you to look into the one called Amethyst Falls. It's been a dependable variety, a dependable cultivar for gardens, um, and it's been around a long time. Now, a, a, uh, another native vine that blooms even earlier than wisteria is the Carolina jessamine. Not to be confused with jasmine. It's not a jasmine. Uh, some people will call it Carolina jasmine, and it's usually the same plant as Carolina jessamine. It's got a great botanical name, uh, Gelsimium sempervirens, but regardless, it is one of the first, probably the only earliest blooming native plant I'm aware of, or native vine I'm aware of, and it's, it could start blooming as early as February, just around the corner maybe. If you have this and haven't seen it blooming yet, it surely will next Next month. It just depends on the kind of weather we have this time of year. Now, the Carolina jessamine is a wonderful plant because it has a trumpet-shaped blossom, uh, quite large, um, and they're usually a very vivid yellow. Now, there's probably different shades depending on the kind of uh, cultivar you find, but generally this is a yellow-blooming plant. And this plant is different than the rest of the plants we'll be talking about today because it is a truly evergreen native vine. That's right, you will have foliage on this plant 
all year long. Now, over winter, you know, over fall and winter, they drop some of their leaves, but generally they maintain most of their leaves throughout the, the, the winter time. And then, of course, after they bloom in the earliest part of the year, they will put out more foliage, more stems, and they'll just get thick and dense and full and look awesome. They have very linear shaped leaves, so it gives you a fine texture. Um, let's see, they do fine along... Um, growing along fences. Uh, if you have a, uh, a pasture or something like that, or maybe just a privacy fence, and you want to kind of cover that up with some greenery, then this is a plant that will do the job for you. And of course, they can be uh, growing up and draping across some kind of arbor or trellis. It's really a wonderful sight to be seen there. Now, again, they are early bloomers. So one of the benefits is they will provide a source of food. They'll provide a source of pollen, nectar, uh, early in the year for maybe some of the very, very earliest pollinators. You know, when this plant is blooming in maybe as early as February and March, there's aren't, there aren't a lot of pollinators. However, there still may be some critters that time of year who need a little boost uh, before spring and before everything else starts flushing out and growing. So think of Carolina jazz jessamine as one of the prequels to spring it is one of those plants like we talked about last week it is one of the plants that helps us to usher in true spring you know some days this time of year feel like spring and some feel like winter but this plant will make it feel like spring is around the corner with those beautiful yellow uh, bell-shaped trumpet-shaped blossoms. That's Carolina jessamine. Well, gang, we've got more to talk about in Native Vine World when we get back from this break and more of your questions. Hang on tight. Hey, gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. <laughs> at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, welcome back to Q&A week here on New Southern Garden. Of course, it's the last Saturday of the month, and we go to the mailbox, the inbox, the mailbag, the comment section, wherever you have contacted us. We try to gather all your questions that we can utilize here on the show to give you some help, um, give you some personal attention, if you will, because, you know, throughout the month, I'm trying to give you ideas and inspiration, um, maybe some things you never have heard of, whether they're plants or products or whatever that may be helpful to you in the landscape. But, you know, you've got those personal situations. Your garden is unique. Your place is like no other place in the world. And so we want to hear about that uh, and see if we can help you along. And before the break, we were talking about native vines that are awesome bloomers. 
Um, so this question comes from Jonathan, who's been watching New Southern Garden on YouTube, actually. And he just says, are there some cool blooming native vines? And there are already. We've talked about the native honeysuckle, which blooms in May to June with usually a red or coral colored blossom. Um, sometimes it's called coral honeysuckle. And then, of course, we talked about one of the early bloomers, which was wisteria, the native wisteria, wisteria frutescens. And that cultivar, a cultivar that's just awesome, is Amethyst Falls with those nice uh, clusters of pendulous pea uh, flowers that are purple. And that blooms in April to May. And then we were talking about the one of the earliest, one of the earliest native blooming vines is Carolina jessamine, which could start as early as February. It surely has for me in the past. Uh, and then they usually wrap up their bloom time in April. But they are a great evergreen vine. And I do have one more vine I want to talk about, but I just want to say how much I love vines. Um, if you have fences, like there's, uh, it's a no-brainer. Plant a vine up against a fence and let it just take over that fence. Hide the hard lines of the infrastructure that is there. Um, they help to soften those architectural lines that a fence may give you. Um, and then, of course, I like to consider the vines as the wanderer of the garden. Because, you know, when we're planting shrubs or trees or perennials even maybe, we're, we're kind of highly thinking about how far apart do we plant them? Is this the perfect spot? Are these spaced at the right distance? But when it comes to vines, there's really no worry about it because you can plant them almost anywhere and they find where they can grow. Unlike shrubs and other bushy plants, right, uh, that don't really move around, the vines do move around. And it's sort of a beautiful thing in a way because you may plant it uh, in one location and then over time it may pop up somewhere else. Uh, many of these plants uh, will sucker a little bit, which of course could be a maintenance concern. Um, but most of these vines, if they're allowed to, gr to crawl at any point along the ground, they may pick up and start a new plant. Just right there, right then and there, just boom, there it is. And so you can either relocate that plant or remove it or send it to a friend. Use it as a pass-along plant. And when we talk about these vines walking around and creeping around, yes, they're a bit aggressive. But the last vine I want to talk about today is probably the most notorious for its aggressiveness. And this, of course, is the trumpet vine. Now, trumpet vine, or botanically speaking, Campsis radicans, is not a plant maybe for everybody. You know, there are certain plants that work for anybody in any situation. But because trumpet vine is a very fast grower, it's probably the fastest vine on the list today. And I should mention all of these vines, once they're established, they get up and go. Um, but this vine get ups and goes much faster. We had this uh, campsis or trumpet vine growing in a pot in the greenhouse, and it was sort of in the corner, the back corner. Uh, it's not always a big seller, but it's when it's blooming, it's it's hard not to to resist it. Um, and it found its way out of the bottom of the pot and popped up crawling up the side of the greenhouse, wrapping around any kind of support wires or support post we had there. And uh, it made a little colony in the back of the greenhouse. So just know that campsis or trumpet vine is one of these aggressive vines for sure, but it is one that is going to grow quickly 
and fill in space. Uh, if you just have a long row of fence or maybe a huge trellis or arbor that you want to get some coverage on, you can surely check out Trumpet Vine. Now, this is the latest to bloom of the vines we're talking about today. It blooms in July, and when it blooms, as the name suggests, its blossom is trumpet-shaped. Trumpet, just like the Carolina jessamine, is a trumpet-shaped flower, and it's quite large, and usually the flowers are going to be a red to orange, which is a color that is hard to get, maybe, in a lot of vines. However, there are some uh, cultivars like the, um, I think it's called Flavorama, Flavorama Trumpet Vine, which is quite yellow. Uh, They do have a very unique leaf shape in that they are a pinnate leaf. Now, that's a botanical term that means feather-like. And sort of like wisteria, uh, you have this very strong midrib and then side leaflets along that that looks like a feather. If you can picture uh, the, I don't even know, what are those little tiny pieces that are that make up a feather? I don't know, but the, the little feather parts, you know, uh, that, if you can imagine the leaves coming off like a feather on this very thick, strong um main stem or midrib of the leaf. So it gives you this almost tropical feel. If you didn't know that trumpet vine was native to our area, you would probably think it was native to South America. Because if you're going for a tropical feel around your pool, or maybe you just like the tropical look, then this is one vine that you can use to give you that tropical feel with the huge, uh, rich colored flowers that are trumpet shaped. It looks like it could come from Aruba or somewhere exotic like that. But it's very hardy. It's hardy at least zone four. And so you can grow it well up the eastern coast with no problem at all. They are deciduous, so they drop their leaves, but before they drop their leaves, they generally give you a nice fall color, uh, which is usually yellow. And so it's a vine for many seasons, but it's not a vine for many gardeners because, of course, it is quite aggressive and uh, blooms well, though. Blooms in the middle of summer when it's so hot that, uh, as a matter of fact, it blooms so late almost that you're thinking, when is this plant ever going to bloom? Is it ever going to put out a blossom? And then boom, all of a sudden when it's the hottest day of the year, it goes to town. So trumpet vine, again, not for everybody. It's aggressive. You got to trim it back, but it gives you so many benefits for sure. If you need a fast growing vine, um, I do love it. I do love it. I, I just remember one of my professors at the university of Georgia saying, it's in my garden, but it may not need to be in everybody's, you know, uh, he, he could appreciate it. I appreciate it, but I just know I got to keep it in bounds and keep it in check. So again, Jonathan, thank you for asking the question. Are there some cool blooming vines that are native to our area? And of course the answer is yes. We've talked about the red honeysuckle or trumpet honeysuckle, the native wisteria, the amethyst falls, uh, cultivar is a great wisteria for, Uh, any southern garden and of course the carolina jessamine with her evergreen foliage Um, she's quite refined but she can uh, take over quite quickly as with all of these just keep them in check and then lastly we talked about the campsis radicans or the trumpet vine which is that summer blooming 
uh, vine, and of course, it's just wild and crazy. Well, I know I'm running out of time today. I do appreciate all of your questions. Thank you for communicating with us at NewSouthernGarden.com and checking us out on YouTube now. Just search for New Southern Garden and be sure to subscribe. That's important if you want to follow us on YouTube because if you subscribe and click the little bell, you'll get notifications whenever we put out a brand new video for your gardening pleasure. So again, folks, uh, be sure to send us your questions for next month. This has been a great Q&A week. We appreciate all your questions. And I hope that uh, you stay well and grow well this weekend for New Southern Garden and WRWH. My name's Nathan Wilson. Now, let's get closer and closer to spring, shall we? We'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.